So when you first wake up in the morning, what do you think about? Maybe it's your to-do list. Maybe the first thing you do is you grab your phone and turn off the alarm and suddenly you're scrolling through social media. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you think, I did not get enough sleep. <laughs> you are not alone. Oftentimes we wake up feeling like we don't have enough. And we tend to be overwhelmed by the things we feel like we need. I need to do this thing. I need to be more like that. I need to get those. I need to be there by this time. So often it can feel like we're doing all of these things on our own. And for what? As a guest, I don't think I'm supposed to admit this. And while trying to sermonize this week, I wasn't really feeling the text. I've preached on this text multiple times. It's a story many of us may be familiar with. And this week, it felt hard to believe. I know this passage is about who God is, how God's presence is enough and abundant. And when I am tired to my bones, and feeling like breathing is exhausting, it's hard to understand where this good news meets the reality of our lives. And yet I continue to be amazed how our scripture display the truth of that. The disciples are always hanging out with Jesus and they have seen him do miraculous and beautiful things and yet they still don't think they have enough. That feels honest. That feels real. The disciples have witnessed Jesus turn water to wine, heal the sick, proclaim the truth, and even walk on water and now feed thousands of people. And yet their consistent response to Jesus is, I don't know, there's no way, Jesus. What Jesus continues to show them is how different their paradigm is to God's paradigm. Jesus asks Philip, where are we going to buy bread for them to eat? And Philip responds by saying, Jesus, there's no way. Six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to have even a little bit. Philip is using the paradigm of sweat equity. It's, it's one that we are all pretty familiar with. The more you sweat and work, the more you can earn, and the more you earn, the more bread you can buy, and the more people you can feed. This is the economy that we are all used to. This makes sense to us. And yet Jesus is testing him, not in a malicious way, but Jesus is wondering if the disciples are able to recognize yet what it looks like when the dome of God reigns comes near what God's paradigm looks like. When God comes near, the sick are healed, the hungry are fed, the ones on the margins are liberated, even when they do not feel it or recognize it. It is still there for them, there for all. Jesus never promised we wouldn't be tired, we wouldn't hunger, we wouldn't hurt. Jesus is showing us who God is in the midst of the hungry, the desolate night, 
the chaotic sea, Jesus comes near and gives himself over and over again. The feeding of the 5,000 is a miracle that is listed in all four of the Gospels. And yet in John's telling of the story, there is one big difference. In John's telling of this miracle, Jesus is the one who gives the bread and the fish away. In other Gospels, it's the disciples who distribute it. And so why in John? Why is it different? Because John wants us to know this point. This is who God is. As the hungry people are gathering, Jesus feeds them. As the disciples are afraid on the turbulent seas, Jesus walks to them. It's not that things won't be tough or hard or exhausting. It's that our God promises to be the God who will never leave us or forsake us. In the midst of my weariness, I took a moment to take inventory of my feelings. I see feelings like children in a car. It's important to acknowledge them, to hear them out, but you don't let them drive the car. My dominant feeling of weariness does not mean that God is not near or that God is not enough. Because I was feeling weary, it felt like the truth of God's abundance was not true. Sometimes we can get so lost in a feeling that we need to remember who God is. Let me tell you a little bit about who God has been in my life. At the age of two, I was abandoned on a bus in Seoul, Korea. I was brought to a police station, an orphanage, foster care, eventually adopted into the system. And when the world found me disposable, God continued to walk with me and deliver me from the circumstances that this world threw at me. When I found out my first husband had been cheating on me and was leaving me for another woman, I felt unlovable. The strange thing about grief is it's so lonely. Even the most kind friends cannot walk every moment of the grief path with you. And yet God never leaves us or forsakes us. Joy is not the absence of pain. It's the unshakable voice that declares amidst everything, God is still good. I don't believe that God needs to do bad things to us to teach us a lesson. I do believe, however, God is so good at taking whatever the world throws at us, whatever we do to ourselves, and create something beautiful. This is what God's economy looks like. It looks like five loaves and two fishes being a feast for 5,000 with leftovers. It looks like people who have been sick being healed and brought back into beloved community. This is what the dome in which God reigns looks like. It looks like a thief on the cross meeting Jesus in paradise. And it doesn't matter if you are an orphan or a billionaire, if you have five husbands or none, our God wants all to eat and be satisfied. 
God gives God's very self to you, to me, to all, so that we would be fed. Fed with something that does not rot or mold or disintegrate, but something that continues to pour into us every morning, every day, whether we feel it, see it, or know it. Our God continues to walk with you, beside you, above you, within you. Our God wants to heal the spaces and places in your being that are broken and exhausted. I have been so excited to come here. I've been excited to come here and worship with you because the goodness of God is something I couldn't wait to celebrate with you. You may not know this, but we've been doing God's work together. Back in the springtime when Brooklyn Center was having a lot of conflict, when the death of Dante Wright happened and there was friction between the protesters and the police station, a lot was happening. And your pastor, Natalia, came with me. She felt a fire in her belly to show up with me and with others who were concerned about the children in the residential apartments across the police station. The world was so focused on the sides of the conversation that few saw the children in the apartment buildings. The very next day, we showed up and asked people if they needed a place to stay. Pastor Natalia shared through social media the opportunity to support the families needing to be re relocated during the unrest. The Spirit of God is moving. Within three days, we raised over $35,000. The Spirit of God is moving. The residents were paying their bills and making ends meet, and having to relocate and find meals for their families would have put their budgets over. And yet we came knocking on the doors, asking if people needed a place to stay. One of the first families to answer was a woman named Tinan. She opened her door with three-month Hermaeus on her hip and four-year-old Tanae under the bed still. I told them we had a place for them. Tanayan began to cry. She confessed, I haven't slept all night. My daughter won't leave from underneath the bed. I just keep telling her I will protect her, but I don't know what else to say, and I don't know how to do that. As she continued to share her story, little four-year-old Tanay came up to the door. I shared that the hotel was very generous and that they were going to be staying in a room that had a kitchen, a living room, a laundry, uh, so they could bring clothes that they wanted to wash. Then little Tanae asked if there was a pool. And I said, yes, pack your swimsuit. And at that news, Tanae squealed and said, Mama, we're going on vacation. That is what God's abundance looks like. Sometimes it looks like being completely exhausted, feeling like you have nothing, not knowing what to do next. And then the next feeling is better than you can even imagine. It feels like vacation. This is what it looks like for all to be fed, to have refuge, to know joy. Oftentimes when people are sitting there wondering where God is, how God is going to show up, God is just wondering, beloved, 
Will you give me space to show you the paradigm of God, the economy of God, where all are fed, all are known, and all are set free? I invite you in this moment to catch your breath. I invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable. God is in the very breath that you breathe. Every inhale, every exhale is supported by God. I pray that in this moment, the places in you that feel wounded or broken will feel the warmth of God warming you, feeding you, and setting you free. Beloveds, there is a place in you where you have never been wounded, where you have never been hurt, where there is still a sureness in you. You are created with the holy goodness of God. Your breath is your birthright. You are whole. You are marked with the cross of Christ and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit forever. Thanks be to God. It is so good to be together today. Um, I just pray there's a song that keeps rolling through my head right now, and the lyric says, when the night keeps holding on to me, God keeps holding on. I don't know what your night looks like. I don't know what feels like it's hanging on to you, but I know one thing, whether you feel it or you know it or not, God is holding on tight. I pray that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The service here is ending, but the service out there is just beginning. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.